Ephesians chapter 1 is where we are at. It was about 8 to 10 years ago. My kids and I left the house, loaded up in the Suburban to go to a graduation party of some friends here from church. And we got in. For some reason, my, my wife wasn't with us that day, and so we loaded up in the Suburban, plugged in the GPS, and off we went. And we love graduation parties. Just being there with all of our friends, not to mention the free food. Um, so we're getting there, we're getting close, I'm following the GPS, we turn one of our corners and I go, there it is, clearly. Balloons, banner, cars, people. So I'm like, hey, we made it. We park, we walk up to the house, we get in the line that's kind of funneling into the house, and we're standing there, we're waiting as it's slowly moving, lots of people coming and going, and we just stepped into the front doorway of the house, and I didn't recognize anybody. And as we stood there, inching along, now I'm really inching forward, I start to look at the pictures hanging on the wall. My friends had hung pictures of other people on their wall. This was not my friend's graduation party at all. We were at the wrong party. My kids were absolutely mortified. I was just talking to my oldest daughter, Morgan, this week, and I I told her I was going to tell this story, and she goes, oh, I remember that. So now we're barely in the door and I'm trying to like, how do we get out of here before I have to go face to face with the hosts of the party and they look at me and say, who are you? And I was trying to think of things, maybe I need to tell them I'm the long lost cousin. I'm trying to think of how to get out. There was no way to get out of it except, kids, we gotta go, we're at the wrong party. And some people around us said, excuse me, we're at the wrong party, which, you know, erupted in some laughter there at that party, and it really erupted in laughter when we finally got to the real party. But I did not want to face those hosts and have them look at me very kindly and say, hi, I'm sorry, who are you? Have you ever been somewhere, said something or did something, said something to someone where they said, excuse me, who are you? Or maybe it was, excuse me, who are you? It's a curious question, isn't it? Who are you? And depending on the context, there's a lot of different answers that could come to that question, who are you? Now, for our purposes this morning, from Ephesians chapter one, have you ever entertained the question when contemplating your own life, who am I? Have you ever contemplated looking at the situations of your life or the status of your life or the positions that you hold and say, who am I? Or maybe life has changed and you're saying, who am I now? What am I now? I was that for X number of years. What am I now? Who, who am I? This morning, through Paul's words about our, our spiritual blessings in Christ, I, I, wanted, I want you to think about a problem that we're all affected by. It's the problem of identity. But it's not the identity problem that you might be thinking of right now. The identity and gender dysphoria that we are facing in our cultural culture today is definitely a problem, but that's not the identity problem we're talking about. I want to talk this morning about misplaced identity. Where might you misplace your identity? 
No, I'm not talking about forgetting who you are. But instead, just how often we can, if we're not careful, we can misplace our identity. And when I use that word identity this morning, I'm using it very, very colloquially, very culturally. The way that the world uses it to talk about three things. Worth, value, and purpose. That's how the world talks about your identity and finding your identity and creating your identity. So as we talk about misplaced identities, I want you to begin to think, if I'm not careful, where might I misplace my value and my worth and my purpose? You see, because if we're not careful, we can place value, worth, and purpose in our life experiences and our sufferings or our roles and our responsibilities, our accomplishments or our failures. We can place our identity in our past We can place our identity in our sins or in the sins that others have committed against us. These types of identifiers, and there's a whole lot more identifiers that we could put as possibilities of our identity. These identifiers can, if we're not careful, they can push us selfishly into pride as we look at our own accomplishments and where we've come from and who we are now into a sinful pride and arrogance, or if we're not careful, these identifiers can push us sinfully into despair for what we feel is our lack of value or our lack of worth or our lack of purpose in life. You see, as I alluded to, the the modern psychological and anthropological approach to identity is to find your value, worth, and purpose in yourself to have a healthy self-esteem. That's where you'll find your purpose and to discover your true self. But as the Bible teaches about our identity, our value and our worth and our purpose, as, as the Bible teaches our identity, it's just like the solutions to the rest of our problems. They're never found inside of us. Scriptures always call us to find the solutions to the things we face outside of us as we accept by faith what God has said about us and what God has done for us. That's being counterculture in a very real way this morning. To believe what God says about you instead of following what the world says, to find your true value, worth, and purpose in yourself or to develop it or to create it or to have a healthy self-esteem, or to discover your true self. Scripture says, no, that's not where we look. We have to look outside of ourselves to find our true value, worth, and purpose. And Paul confronts, I think, our misplaced identities by calling us this morning from Ephesians 1 to our true identity in Christ. My friends, no matter what circumstances you face, or the loss that you have experienced, or the sins that you have done, or the sins that have been done to you as a believer by faith in Jesus Christ, this text this morning tells us what our true identity will always be. So regardless of our past or our current life situations, we can praise God because we are chosen. Verse number four. You see, when we say 
I'm nothing or I'm something. Scripture says, you're chosen. When we say, I am nothing, God says, you are mine. When we say, I'm something, I've really got it all together. I've really come somewhere. God says, you're chosen. In verse three, Paul erupts in praise like a, like a volcano of theology for everything that Christians have received through Christ and his saving act. Every spiritual need that you and I have had to, to have peace with God was provided in Jesus Christ. And so the first in this chain of blessing here in Ephesians 1, the first in this chain of blessing is this great theme of divine election. And Paul reaches all the way back to before time began when only God existed to show us where our true identity began. God's choice of you was purely of his own good grace to you and nothing more. So when we look at our lives and our misplaced identities or what we're tempted to place our identity in, when we say, fill in the blank for yourself, God says, you're chosen. And this choice was not based on any human merit of your own. It was not based on God looking down through the corridors of time to see what you would be. This was done out of his good grace to you and nothing more. Jesus said in John 6, no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. So the first element in this chain of blessing that Paul brings out to us is this great theology of divine election. How does that apply to each of our lives or to our misplaced identities? My friends, when you feel like you're worth nothing, when you feel like you are stuck in pride or you're stuck in the pride of self-pity and despair, remember, you were chosen to salvation by the God of creation. And that is your true identity. That choice by God himself brings you to a special and privileged place with God. Not because of you, but in spite of you. So when God says, or when we say, I am nothing, God says, you are chosen. Paul goes on in drawing us to our true identity in verse four, the other half of verse four, when we say, I'm sinful. I'm, I'm not special. I'm actually an offender. Or I've been defiled. Or I've been victimized. God says, you are holy and blameless. Because of standing in Christ, this is what we are in God's sight. Regardless of how you feel or what's been done to you or what you've done, no matter your vocation, high-level executive, stay-at-home mom or dad, it doesn't matter. This is our true identity and standing before God. This is our positional identity with God. We are given here not only the positional identity, but also a responsibility then. For those that are chosen and those that are declared positionally holy and blameless before God comes with deep responsibility. 
to continue to pursue Christ-likeness through holiness and blamelessness. It's not only a positional identity, it's also our responsibility based on this spiritual blessing, our responsibility to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This means that when we are unholy and we are blameworthy for whatever reason, this means that when we come to God in our unholiness and in our blameworthiness, we come to God with godly sorrow that leads to repentance, we will be restored to fellowship and living again practically in this position of holiness and blamelessness. This is our true identity. Maybe you're here today and you've given up hope. You've given up hope that it's ever gonna be good again. You've given up hope that it'll get better. It'll just go away. Maybe you're here today and you're hopeless. Maybe you're discouraged with your status in life. Paul calls us to aspire to this text, to believe it, to anchor to it, but then to aspire to holiness and to blamelessness and to begin to live again with joy according to your positional identity in Christ. You see, Paul gives us this positional identity not so that we look our lives and go, well, at least I'm holy and blameless, I guess. At least I got that. That's something, right? while still living in hopelessness. No, he calls us to to believe what God says about us, to anchor to our true identity, and then to live joyfully no matter the circumstances that we face because of our positional identity in Christ. We are chosen. We are holy and blameless. Next, when we say we are lonely, or, or we've been unwanted, or we're a burden, God says, oh no. You're adopted. Verse number five. Even though we are fallen and cursed by sin, our true identity is that we are part of God's family through the spiritual blessing of adoption. Verse five, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his good will. Maybe you feel alone and abandoned here this morning like no one cares. That you can sit in a room of this many people and still feel alone like no one cares. Paul draws you into who you really are. That before time began, God wanted to adopt you. It wasn't like he got down the road and said, well, I I guess I gotta go with this adoption thing. Nothing else is really working out. I guess I'll adopt them. No, according to the pleasure of his goodwill, he predestined, he chose, he wanted to do this. But not in a determinative sort of way, in a joyful way. He wanted you to be part of his family. And so before time began, Paul says, in this chain of blessings, God 
wanted to adopt you to be part of his family. And, and this adoption results in a, in a personal and a permanent relationship with God and a new identity. That's what Paul is drawing us into. If we glance ahead real quick to verse number nine, God didn't just purpose to do this. He delighted to do this. That's what kind of God he is. He delighted to do this for us. He wanted to be a good father to us in this way with the ultimate goal, as you see in the text, to bring glory to himself, to the praise of his glorious grace. So when we believe and live what God says about us, and about our true identity, first of all, we bring him glory. It's kind of a Christianese buzzword, isn't it? Do all to the glory of God. Praise be to God. Bring glory to God. But very practically and real this morning, when you live according to your true identity, regardless of how you feel and the situations around us, you bring glory to God, the text says. This good father chose to adopt us when we realize we've misplaced our identity, we have a father who is present. We have a father who is ready to remind us through his word of who we are and who we belong to. This adoption, I think, also strengthens and supports us for life's sufferings. The ones that we face now, the ones that always seem like they're just around the corner. That we are adopted prepares us and strengthens us and supports us. When we believe what God says about our true identity in Christ, it gives us hope when we face sufferings of all kinds. And so when we say, I am alone, God says, you are adopted. If that wasn't enough, Paul goes on. When we say, but, but I'm, I'm filthy, I'm, I'm tainted, I'm used, I'm a failure. Paul reminds us of the true identity that from verse seven, we are redeemed. Jesus accomplished this spiritual blessing of redemption for us on the cross. He redeemed us from a life of sin. He redeemed us by dying on the cross for us. He redeemed us from the penalty of sin. He redeemed us from the power of sin. And one day, ultimately, he will redeem us from the presence of sin. All by paying the ransom that was required for our release from slavery to sin. My friends, your true identity is that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. So, when Satan tempts you to despair and he tells you of the guilt within, preach the gospel to yourself. You are redeemed. On top of redemption, when we say, he can't forgive me, I'm stuck, I'm stuck in the past, I'm undeserved, God says we are forgiven. When we say, but I don't feel forgiven, 
God says, you are forgiven. You see, this redemption that we were talking about brings forgiveness. And the focus here is on, is on the removal of the guilt of the sinful act that has been committed. This is a pardon granted to us. Choose, my friends, to believe what God says about being forgiven. Choose to believe what God says your true identity is. That's not to dismiss your sin or the way that you've sinned against God and against others. Don't move too quickly or too fast away from the sin that you have done. But when you have properly handled that sin and you have gone in true biblical confession to Jesus Christ, live as you are. If we confess our sins, what is he faithful to do? To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The deal is done. We are called to live then as we are. This is something that Sarah and I have desired for our kids to understand if they have as they have grown up and the more that they understand, this is, this is a conversation that we have when they sin or when we sin against them. This is the conversation we have. Yes, have remorse over your sin. Be sad and grieve and have sorrow over what you did. But if you have handled your failure in the, in the prescribed way of the scriptures, then you can move forward with joy and live as you are, redeemed and forgiven. We are never commanded in Scripture to forgive ourselves. It's a hot-button phrase in our world today. Well, I know God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. We are never called in Scripture to forgive ourselves. We need to remove some of that language from our vocabulary, especially in the church. It's not our job to forgive ourselves. That's, that's not what the scripture teaches. We are called to believe and rest in the finished work of Christ that secured our forgiveness. We are to speak truth to our feelings. You've seen me do it before. I've got feelings and I've got truth and they're constantly butting heads with each other. And there's a tug of war going on. There's a fight and a battle and a war, if you will. What will I believe? Will I believe my feelings? Or will I believe the truth? We are not called to forgive ourselves so that we feel better. God does not want you to live in shame and guilt after you have owned your sin and requested and been granted forgiveness. God has forgiven you. Live now as you are. And let this gospel of forgiveness restore your joy to living. Paul says, when you say, I'm stuck, I'm undeserved of this forgiveness, God says, but I've forgiven you. Live in joy, with joy in your true identity. You may be saying right now, Jeremy, slow down. I can't take it all in. You're already on like number five. Slow down a little bit. I can't. 
and neither can Paul. He wants you this morning to feel the weight of all these spiritual blessings. He wants you to see your true identity. So he just keeps heaping these things on top of one another. We gotta keep going. We have been chosen. We have been redeemed and forgiven. We are holy and blameless. And Paul is not done yet. When we say, I'm poor, I'm needy, I'm inferior, God says in verse seven, you are rich. You are rich. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace applied to you. The riches of his grace. What are we rich in? God's grace. All we have seen so far and what we will see in this chain of blessings is because of grace. But this is not all the grace that is available to us. We don't only receive grace in order to be chosen and forgiven and redeemed. His rich storehouse and abundance of grace just keeps coming at us. There is a a store, if you will, that is filled with God's grace to us and it's all marked free. God's grace to you. It goes on after our redemption and our forgiveness and God's grace is there for your times of trouble. God's grace is there to overcome your dominating sins. Grace for every need you may have in this life. Grace for raising kids, amen? Grace for raising parents, amen? Come on, teens, you can do that, right? Some of you are raising parents, I know. Mine are raising parents. Pretty good parents, too, I think. They're, they're raising some good parents. Grace for marriage. Grace for work. Grace for it all. Because of the riches of his grace. Maybe you would say today, I just don't know if I can even find it in me today to go on. Maybe you would say, as I have heard many times in my pastoral ministry, I'm done. I'm done. I've got nothing left. I can't go on. I'm not even sure I want to go on. There is grace for that too in these riches of God's grace. The idea is that it's not just here for this chain of blessings, but the storehouse is so deep and so big and so vast that it just keeps coming at us. There is plenty of help for you from God's rich grace. Turn to him. Believe what he says about you and to you. Keep working. Keep persevering in his grace. Keep partnering with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification. God says you are rich. Next, when we say, I've just been a disappointment. I'm pathetic. I'm irrelevant. I'm a loser. God says, no, you are an heir. You have an inheritance. Because, because we are in Christ, these, these spiritual blessings that have a very real and now today aspect to them also come with it a future inheritance. 
something so secure that the, that the Bible writers speak of this as in the present, as real, and as having already occurred, yet still in the future, our future inheritance. We were chosen by God, not just for spiritual blessings today and right now. Paul says we have the rights to also future blessings, to future glory because of God's work in us through Jesus Christ. When we as believers say, I am nothing or I have nothing, we've misplaced our identity. God says we are rightful inheritors of future spiritual blessings. Finally, don't be too tripped up on that word finally when I say it. Thank you for laughing. Finally, (laughs) when we say, I've gone too far, I'm, I'm a repeat sinner. When we say, I must earn God's favor now because of my actions, God says in verse number 13, You are secured and assured. You are secured and assured. God's spiritual blessings for believers are based not only on the sovereign election of the Father and the redemptive work of the Son, verses 7 through 12, but also on the seal of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the Trinity there in this text? The election of the Father, the work of the Son on the cross for us, and now the the sealing and the assuring, the securing of God the Holy Spirit. The gift of God the Holy Spirit to us is that he is the down payment or the first installment of a promise of more spiritual blessings to come. Paul does what so many ancient writers do when they compare the age now and the age to come. And he does it so beautifully in this text as he has drawn us into the age of the past before time began when we were divinely elected by God to the spiritual blessings and the riches of his grace that we have now because of redemption and forgiveness and blamelessness and holiness. Then he draws us into the future. That the Holy Spirit that we have been given, that indwells us, God the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the third member of the Trinity who indwells us is the first installment of more spiritual blessings to come. The sealing by God and the Holy Spirit brings to us security, my friends. If there's anyone here today who struggles with the assurance of their salvation, who doubts whether they're truly saved or not, and you've evaluated your life and you've asked yourself, what do I believe about Jesus Christ? And you've come to the conclusion that yes, I believe the gospel, then my friend, you can set aside your doubt and you can embrace assurance because of the work of the Spirit to seal you. You no longer have to live in that fear of if I, am I not, I don't know. 
If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith alone and have accepted him as your savior to forgive you of your sins, my friend, you can be assured and no longer doubting because of this spiritual blessing, not just in the future, but the assurance you have of your salvation here and now. This ceiling brings us security and assurance that this is a work that he does, not a work that we can lose. This ceiling also communicates ownership, that Jesus purchased you by his blood and the Spirit sealed you for your future everlasting inheritance in Christ. This chain of blessings is amazing. But it speaks right to our hearts that often misplace our identity in other things. I look around the room and, and there's plenty of identity in this room, right? You're retired, life has changed. You're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're re remarried, you're in sorrow, you're in grief, you're young, you're old, you're business owners. And on and on the list could go. But my friends, those, that's not our identity. They may be our identifiers. And that's the, that's the struggle of the human heart. So we want to take our identifiers and make them our identity. And sometimes that comes with a, a lot of weight and sorrow. Paul draws us into our true identity in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and life has been hard for you. Besides all the things that you can't control in life, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you feel an immense amount of guilt and shame over the things that you have done. And maybe you sit here this morning and you say, Pastor Jeremy, I would like freedom from that. I want peace in my soul so bad. I have tried so many things to find that peace. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, I want those spiritual blessings you're talking about. My friend, you can have them. They're for you because Christ died for you. And if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, you don't stand currently as an adopted family member of Jesus Christ. You don't stand redeemed or forgiven, but you can. As you come, even as where you sit this morning, you come by faith to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you of your sins. These spiritual blessings are just waiting to be yours. They are yours only through believing by faith in Jesus Christ that he saved you. He died for your sins and all you have to do is ask him to forgive you to be saved. If you would like to know more about that or have more conversation about how you can find peace in your soul. Doesn't necessarily mean that all your problems in this life are gonna go away, but you can find peace in your soul. If you'd like to talk more about that, come see me. I'd love to show you other words from the scripture of how the gospel invites you to come to Christ. For what is probably the majority of believers here this morning. What do you do now with your true identity? What should we do? 
regardless of your position or your status in life, whether you have plenty or you are in need, no matter how you feel, this true identity calls you to, first of all, anchor your faith in the promises of God. Anchor your faith in the promises of God. That is your true identity. That has been promised to you. That is who you are. Anchor your faith in the promises of God. And then choose to believe what God says about you. Choose to believe what God says about you when it's hard to believe what God says about you. When you don't feel like it's true. Choose to believe what God says about you, what your true identity is. Read the scriptures to find your identity. And then, joyfully, joyfully live in the gospel reality of who you are. No matter if life is good or bad or easy or hard, joyfully live in the gospel reality of who you are. Paul draws us to true identity. Paul confronts us with our misplaced identity. We could spend a lot of conversation talking about where are the other ways that we misplace our identity. That's your job. That's your homework. Go home and evaluate and pray and say, God, where have I misplaced my identity? Where do I need to get back to my true identity, living joyfully in gospel reality for who we are? Now, church, in response to this divine chain of spiritual blessings that are bestowed upon us, let's stand together. Stand with me now. In response to these spiritual blessings that we have, we stand together in one joyful, praise-filled, emotional, booming, and thunderous voice that has assembled here because of these spiritual blessings. I could not think of any greater song to choose to end this service than one that speaks of the reality of who we are, our true identity in Jesus Christ. Let's extol him together in one joyful, emotional, booming, and thunderous assembled voice as we sing together, complete in thee. Complete in thee, no work of
Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, as we've had opportunity to meditate on our position in Christ and the many blessings we have because of saving faith in him, we are astonished at the, uh, at the depth and the breadth and the height of all that you've given to us. And we can only say with Paul, blessed be God. And we take that with us this morning as we think on these things today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 